idea behind the show is simply asking guests what they would tell a stranger on a plane if they were sitting next to them and the stranger asked them for advice. The scenery is passing very fast, but the seer is constant. The one who's seeing is the same. Let me appreciate you for asking a question that I haven't been asked after 2,500 or so uh, interviews over the years. Uh, you have to drop the EGO, which is everyone's greatest obstacle. In 2008, Grant and I had been married for four years. I was pregnant with my first child. Um, we The economy was collapsing and we were on the verge of losing everything financially. Hello, everybody. It is Corey Fourier back with the newest edition of the show. Excited to have a uh, a returning guest with me, not a first time guest, a returning guest. Uh, so Richard uh, Paul Evans. Richard, I'm so excited to have you with us. Uh, Richard, I know this is a bit different probably than most interviews, but I usually get the guests to tell us a little bit about themselves versus me reading uh, a bio, just because I feel like you get to see where you know, what part of their life they talk about or what part of their career. And so are you able to tell us just a little bit about yourself before we jump into all the new exciting things you're doing? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm a novelist. I've written 46 uh, New York Times bestsellers. And I have uh, seven TV movies in my first feature film last year. You saw it um, starring Justin Hartley. It actually was the number one Netflix movie in the world. And it was called The Noel Diary. So um I've had a I've had a good career. I've sold almost forty million books worldwide, and um, I uh, I'm also the founder of the Christmas Box House International. It's a charity that helps abused, neglected, and trafficked children, and we take care of them. We do the hard part. We take care of them after they're taken out, and um, it's it's been an amazing ride. We've helped almost one hundred forty thousand children, which is enough to fill Madison Square Garden six and a half times. So, um, and it just keeps growing. So it, that is, you know, my passion and something that's grown as well. So that's, that's me. I have five children. Uh, they're all grown. My daughter, Jenna is a, a best-selling international author as well now. And she pretty much did that on her own. She, um, she's super famous in Brazil and Portugal where she's one of the top 10 authors in the country. And when she goes to Brazil, she has to have bodyguards because uh, thousands of people flock her. So um, it's fun to watch her. And uh, my other daughter is a doctor and one is does makeup for movies and others uh, be a pharmacist. And then uh, my son is a sushi chef. So they get all over. They have a lot of different talents. That I mean, that's I, that's yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> like I was curious because I didn't know what they all did. So that's so cool. Uh, and it's so cool probably as a, as a parent to watch them thrive in different fields. And I have to say, so even starting right away with the uh, Noel Diary, my girlfriend and I uh, both read the book and watched it. And you wouldn't know this, but just this past week, like literally less than a week ago, her father passed away. And we were, and he was my father-in-law, but really like a father to me. In fact, his service was uh, earlier today. And so we were reading through your book, The Noel Diary. And I was saying to um, Shelly, the part whenever uh, he's cleaning through the house, like going through the stuff, that I ne that part when I read it, it was kind of it was powerful, but it, it wasn't it didn't hit me in the way it did after her father passed, and we started looking at stuff, and so it's so wild how that is so universal whenever and how you can connect with somebody once they're they've lived that part of the story. But honestly, it was like a it came back and hit me. The book came back and hit me like you know two months later. 
which is, I just want to say that that's, that's how powerful your writing is, is that all of a sudden when she's looking through the stuff, I started thinking about the record player because he loved Elvis and, you know, the record player in the story. And anyway, I just want to, you know, I just want to say to me, that's the power of story. Yeah. If you, I mean, we want to, we want to catch slices of life that people can relate to mm-hmm. and uh, get them thinking about their own life and uh, their decisions. And that's, you know, that's what we try to do. So I'm glad that worked for you. Yeah, it totally did. And so, uh, you know, this is probably a good starting point, but obviously, as you talked about the amount of books you've written, you've written, you focus mostly on novels. And so what I'm curious about is I know, and I want to talk about this today, but you have a children's book out now that seems like for some people, a big sort of detour in a different direction. Uh, So I guess the question is why a children's book? Why now? Well, it's not my first uh, children's book. I actually, I start the first children's book I wrote was probably about 15 years ago, and I did it to raise money for abused children and um, for our charity. And so at the time we were really struggling. We, we our first shelter was way over budget, more than a million dollars over budget. And so I started writing these children's books, and they did really well. One of them, uh, the dance, sold a half million copies. It's, it was massive. And so um, that's how the children's book started. But then I just kind of let them go. Um, focusing on my novels, uh, but this one actually is 18 years in the making. So it was way it actually in some ways preceded the other children's books. Um, it was based on my son when he was in the hospital, and it was a you know it was a really difficult time. And we can talk more about that later. But that's I was waiting for him to grow up, and uh, that time came, and that's when I wrote uh, the book. My son lives in a tree. Mm. And so I guess, you know, I was going to ask you the inspiration, but I guess that, you know, that is the inspiration behind. Well, the book. Yeah, it's much it's much deeper than that. Um, it, it was dealing with some um, mental mental health problems. And uh, he was only seven years old and it was it was really difficult. We don't talk about that uh, much in culture. And um, it, it was at a point where we needed help, more help than we could give. And uh, so he, he went into um, a residential treatment and it was awful. I mean, it was, I mean, they, they were great. I mean, they did what they're supposed to do, but it was an awful experience as a parent. I'm walking through there and he said, dad, I, are you putting me in, in jail? And I go, no, son, this isn't jail. I mean, he's a little boy. And he goes, well, it feels like jail. And um, I walked out of the, the place without my son and I, I vomited. I was so emotionally distraught. I went up to see him every day. He was there for almost three months. And uh, every day I'd go to see him and visit him. And then we, we created this little uh, routine because his window overlooked the parking lot. So he would stand against the window like that and look out. And I would drive around twice, twice around the parking lot in front of his window, you know, honking the horn like a fool. And I do that every day. So one day I'm driving to, to see him. And this um, the street I pass goes up to the zoo. And this entire poem came to me. My son lives in a tree. And usually I don't remember these things that well. This one never left me to this day. It, it just, it stuck with me in such a way. And so I knew I would eventually publish this book when the time came, but uh, not, but I waited, I waited 18 years. Wow. It's, it's, it's been 18 years since that happened. I didn't realize that's. Yeah. 18 years. Wow. And I mean, it, it, so I heard you recite the poem and I was blown away because I don't think I've ever been able to recite a poem. Uh, and I guess, you know, we see um, with uh, a prayer, somebody can remember a prayer their whole life. We see that. But 
outside of that, like I've never been able to memorize any poem that I've ever read. And so when you did that, I was fascinated. Like I thought, you know, has he, has he practiced it over and over again, but you're saying it never left. Like, it was just like, you knew it from day one and never forgot it. Yeah. But the more times you share it, obviously it gets, you get better at it and it starts to put the little grooves in your brain. So you can just, you can just say it. So, but you know, it was really special to me. It was meaningful. In fact, I read it to the radio show host, Glenn Beck. And at the end of it, he got teary eyed. He literally wiped a tear from his eye and he goes, uh, my son is in the tree. And um, so there's a deeper meaning to this book. And one that I think is very powerful. And and for anyone who is um, facing challenges with a child, which are millions, um, I think the book will have meaning to them. Yeah, well, and honestly, we're, I mean, in some ways we're going through that right now because we have um what I guess people either call a highly sensitive child or an empath or a crystal child. Uh, but we have a child that is very sensitive. Like if he sees you crying, either he'll start crying or he has to leave the room. And so now I just referred to it a minute ago, but he lost his papa. And so he doesn't know how to process that really. And so, um, you know, it, it makes me think I'm going to reread the book uh, in the next day or two, but we, we were struggling with it because, you know, how do you tell a six-year-old who really doesn't fully understand that? And and we did, and and he gets it, but he's he's dealing with between sort of a little bit of aggression and then to, I want to be alone and kind of be mm-hmm. with my thoughts. And it's wild uh, to think of a six-year-old having to carry that much burden and weight. So I guess, you know, for me, it's, it's sort of really uh, present awareness for me is right now, you know, there is that challenge we have with our child. Well, sometimes... You know, the challenge can be all over the place. I've had people, you know, the book is is just coming out. So, but we did a lot of testing on it. And the, the things we found is that, first of all, when people heard the heard the story, they they loved it. In fact, an audience of 100 people would sell 220 copies. So it was really, it was really strong. It was really strong. Um, and that's unusual. Usually you sell about 40% of an audience um, if you're lucky, you know. You know. Um, so... People would tell me, it's like, well, my son just left the military and, you know, I feel like he's in the tree. And and it, it's the idea of how, how when we we have someone close to us, one of our children, they leave for whatever reason. One woman told me her son um, was a drug addict, was homeless and um, wouldn't talk to him. And so there's a lot of different ways we relate to it. And, and it is about reaching out and connecting and it's about love, ultimately. So it's like it's a funny book. It's whimsical. But then all of a sudden it kind of hits you in the gut at the end. And it, and I guess uh, when you did those, I mean, I, I know I was at a retreat where you shared it with us and I know, you know, I don't know how many copies you sold them, but it seemed like a lot. Cause I know we bought a couple and, and it really resonated with us. But do you find that people, when they get to the end, that's when it kind of all hits them, the power of the book, or is it, does it all the yeah. way through? Yeah, no. Well, the thing is that when you have shared it enough times, and I probably shared it several hundred times, um, you know where they're going to laugh. And the book is funny. I mean, there's, there's always, when I talk about leaving a bad review on Yelp, they always laugh. Or, you know, my friends pick out my fleas, they laugh. Um, but that's what, you know, I learned something as a speaker that, um, you know, my books tend to make people cry, right? That's why they make Hallmark movies out of them. That's why they make these moving movies. Someone asked my wife what I do for a living. And she said, I make people cry. And what I learned is when I'm speaking is, is that, there's not a, a, a long distance between laughing and crying that once you get the emotions up. And so 
for people to be laughing and think this is a really funny book and kids love it. I mean, one woman told me she's read it to her grandchild more than a hundred times because every time she comes, she goes, grandma, would you read the monkey book? You know, cause of the monkey book. And, and she goes, I'll read it three or four times. Every time he comes over, he just, he just loves it. He doesn't want to read anything else, but the monkey book. And so um, when you get their laughter and they're having fun with them, but then you get to the end and every parent can relate to it. And mm-hmm. it is, you know, when you said people usually gasp, they go, oh, or they what they do is they go, oh, you know, that's how they end. And I now just expect it because after, you know, after a hundred readings and it happens every time, you know exactly how people are going to respond to it. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, it's interesting uh, on the Hallmark movie side of things. When you say people, what you found is, uh, you know, you make people cry. And my girlfriend, uh, when we were going to your retreat, she, she didn't know yet fully that uh, she knew your work. But she didn't realize whose retreat we're going to. But what's fascinating to me is she went started going counting through and seeing how many Hallmark movies written based on your books that she had watched before she knew your writing. And mm-hmm. it was a lot. And uh and and now I, I took this as a compliment. Her and I were driving not that long ago, and I I, I told you about a book I'd written, and I've actually written part two and part three. It's like it's a series, which I didn't plan. Oh, okay. And it's all tied together. And she when she was reading the third one, she goes, When are we gonna approach Hallmark? So I was like, <laughs> I've done something right by the third. Awesome. She's singing as Hallmark movie books, but she's a huge, and I think she shared that with you. She's a huge Hallmark movie fan. Like she all season, she watches Hallmark movies. And yeah, she said, I was knew his work intimately without realizing I knew his work intimately. So, you know, again, to that point, uh, you made her cry. I think quite a few times. Oh, that's funny. I actually have a, a few cameos in the movies. Um, so it's, in fact, I, I play the author and I think it's a mistletoe in. And oh, so, okay. yeah, so it's like they, when they asked me to be in, I said, no, my kids mocked me the last time. I was my movie, A Perfect Day with Christopher Lloyd and Rob Lowe, which, which is, you know, a thrill to have those actors, actors that are that big. Um, but I, so I play this little role. My kids just laughed. It's like, you look like Pee Wee Herman, dad, you know, walking <laughs> through and uh, Paige, Mr. Herman, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, I'm not going to do this again. But they asked me to play an author. And I thought, well, I can play an author. Okay, so um, yeah, so that's what that. So I actually flew up to Canada for that and um, did the movie. It was, it was and it was funky because we go in and uh, it wasn't it was summer, but they had fake snow everywhere. So it looked like and they had decorated for Christmas. So oh, it looked cool. like yeah, that's so cool. Well, and I mean, one of the other things that I think is really powerful here is um, you're donating the royalties to charity, and we don't hear that a lot either. So I'm curious what prompted that. Well. Okay, this is, and I hope you take this the right way. This is something really weird happened with this book. It's the reason that I'm self-publishing. When I, um, after I I wrote the book, and it's like it was 18 years, I sent it to my agent. I said, it's time. She took it to my publisher, and they rejected the book. And it's like, I've sold 40 million copies, and you rejected one of my books. And uh, I said, like, why would they do that? This is one of my favorites. And uh, they said, well, they say it's racist. I go, What? You're calling this racist. It's like, it's like, well, yeah, because you you can't talk about monkeys and children, or else you're really talking about black people. And I said that may be the most racist thing I've ever heard. Listen to yourself. You sound insane. And uh, they said, well, let's explain. I said, no, this. Let me stop you right there. You drank the Kool Aid. You've lost your mind. You you're part of this insane society we're moving into. And uh, in ten years, you're going to realize just how stupid you sound. So. Um, you know what? 
I, I take the book back. You're not allowed to publish it. And um, I said, you know what? This is a good thing. My first book was rejected. The Christmas box sold 8 million copies. It was the number one movie in America that year. The next book, uh, the next book that was rejected was Michael Bay. So far, three and a half million copies around the world. I said, so now you rejected this one. So this is a good sign, actually. And uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to publish this and give away all of my royalties, all of them to help children. And uh, so that's that's how it started. I, I love my charity. I, I it's I love giving back. And, um, you know, I you know, my wife's down there at this very moment. She's down there uh, sorting through clothing and donations for the with the group of uh, women that she pulled together. Um, it's part of our life, part of our it's part of our family, this extended family of thousands of children. So, so that's how it came about. Yeah. And well, and so, I mean, being self-published this time, this book, um, and I mean, I don't, I, I'm just curious your thoughts on this, but uh, with a self-published book, how tough would it be to make the New York Times in comparison to the other books? Because oh, obviously, really tough. yeah, re really tough. I don't expect to make the New York Times. I don't really care either. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter if with publishers, they, it's kind of a bragging rights to them. Yeah, they want to look at it and see that there's a Simon and Schuster author who's in the top ten, right? So, so it matters more to them than me. It used to matter a lot to me, but after forty six New York Times bestsellers, it's like, what's another one, right? Hundred uh, percent. I just want people to read the book. So yeah, and I and I, I honestly, when I asked the question, I didn't think it mattered or would matter, but I was just thinking, I wonder as a self published, I think it's it's. I know people have done it, but I my understanding is it's very 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 difficult. Well, it's hard. My first my first book hit the New York Times bestseller list, but it was only because the distributor that reported to them uh, sold more than eighty thousand copies in one week, and so it and so it didn't matter that we were only in five percent of the bookstores. It sold so much it just shook the whole publishing world. The only one we didn't beat was Michael Crichton, who had the movie in. Um, oh, it's one of his movies. You know, he did Jurassic Park, and that was the only book that was ahead of it. Okay, so um, that shook the uh, that shook the world, but it had to sell eighty thousand copies to do that in one week. No one does that. I mean, that's like that's massive. So um, the the thing about like the Times, they have their own formula, which they guard very closely. I mean, it's it's as much a secret as the recipe of Coke. You right. know, they Coca Cola. They just don't let it out. So. Um, any, any, if you try to manipulate it, they'll catch you and they'll throw you off the list forever. So it's, you have to be really careful about it. So I'm just curious, uh, and I want to, you know, get back to uh, the main book, but I'm curious when you, when you mentioned that it sold 80,000 copies, I'm just thinking more for somebody that might be listening that's an author and is fascinated by that. What prompted that amount of sales in a week? Um, it was all viral. It was pure viral. In fact, um, I had someone tell me they were using it as an example in their Harvard marketing class. It was before social media, and it was truly viral. I would, um, I remember there's a lady in Wyoming who had a lot of little stores. One little store sold 5,000 copies, one store in a tiny town called Roy, Utah. And they sold more than 5,000 copies, actually. Um, I remember a little store in Wyoming. They ordered one copy of the book, and my distributor sent them a dozen. Um, you know, a little tray of it. They call them a dump. And, and she was furious. She called back. She goes, I ordered one. You guys are, are cheaters. And 
They said, look, hold on to the book. We'll pay for shipping back. Just hold on to the book for one day. Well, she called the next morning. She goes, I need 200 more. She goes, I sold out of those 12 and I had people already came back to order more. It was the kind of book you read and you needed to have more of them. Mm. So the, the only book that I've seen that had that direct response um, so far has been the monkey book. Uh, my son, this, this new book, when we share it with people, the average sale in the room, like I said, is uh, 2.2 copies per person. And that's the Christmas box would do that because people would buy multiples. Uh, same thing. I'll talk to five women. They'll buy 14 copies. Wow. It's, just, uh, it's a matter of getting it out there. Well, Friday, this past Friday, I was interviewing Neil Donald Walsh, who wrote Conversations with God. And oh, of course, yeah. He was talking about how that book, when I said, you know, why do you think it was so successful beyond the, you know, the fact that universally we could all relate to the conversation? He said it was a hand to hand book. You know, that's what he called it. But a hand to hand book, he said, when people bought it, they were literally like, OK, as soon as it was in their hand, they had to give it to another hand, whether they bought it for somebody else or whether they handed it to somebody else. He said it was a hand to hand book. And he said it sold 15 million copies. But he said his understanding from the research they did is that probably 45 million people read it. You know, so that could be used bookstores and sharing their copy and everything. But, you know, to that point, I mean, I've heard it called a pass along book as well. But it sounds mm -hmm. like that's what the Christmas box was. And it sounds like that's what this book could be as well. Well, and I, you know, I priced it in a way that people could share it. And it really just went, it went nuts. I mean, to have to go to every book sign and have a thousand people turn up was just insane. And, you know, I, I probably will never have that happen again. I mean, it was, it was one of those rare books. Um, I remember uh, USA Today did a list of the 20th century, the biggest books of the 20th century. And um, it was listed in the top 20 books of the 20th century in, in terms of sales. Wow. Well, yeah. this brings up a, a, another question. I think you kind of touched on it a bit, uh, but having that much success, the traditional publisher wrote, um, you mentioned uh, some of the reasons why self-publish. Uh, is there any other reasons? Like, I know you mentioned, um, you know, what the publisher said. So you're like, you know what, I'm going to do this on my own. But is there any other either benefits or reasons why you thought self-publish does make sense either way? Well, the thing about um, a publisher is they're, they're going to get you the distribution. Um, they're going to get it out more. It, it depends how you're selling your book. If you're doing it through yourself. I mean, someone at Glenn Beck Enterprise said to me, it's like, we sell 90 eight percent of the books come through us why would we go to a publisher and because as a publisher you make 15 percent it's like why would we even do that they're not driving the sales we are and you know there's a platform of more than 25 million people so he truly is and that's the question why would we do it that way um there is the other reason is i had an nba all-star my uh marky who's passed away since then um but mark always wanted to be with a big publisher and I met him at a Christmas party, uh, Mark and his wife, Terry. And, and um, he had been, he was almost $100,000 into his book, still had no book. He was being ripped off by another one of these companies who take advantage of authors' dreams. And um, I said, well, you know what? I can help you. And we had a book out in less than six months. And the first week he made $100,000 off his book. The first week. By the end of the year, he had made a half million dollars. His speaking events, he raised his speaking fee by $10,000. He was up to $30,000 a speech. And they were required to buy his book. So, uh, I mean, in an audience, he, he was making about $18 a book. And so of 1,000 people, he'd make an additional 18000 So he's making between fifty dollars and $60,000 an event, you know, per day. I mean, that's a lot of money. And then he gets approached by a major publisher. 
This is after he's been doing this for six months. And they said, hey, we want your book. We want to sell it. And he called me. He goes, you know, I thought that's what I want. But if I work with them, I'll make $3 a book. I'm making six times that. And I'm driving. He goes, why would I go with them? I said, good question. Why would you go with them? And he goes, I don't think I will. And he never did. You know, he never went with them. And he was happy with what he was doing. He was enjoying it. And he made a lot more money self-published. So that's, that's one time when I would say definitely do it. So I'm helping to go with their book right now. Um, it's kind of like a child called it. If you're familiar with that, it was on the New York Times for five years. Yeah. In fact, Dave Pelzer, who wrote that, is endorsing uh, the book and mentoring her. And, um, you know, she's going to use the book in the same way marketing. She speaks all the time. She gets requests to speak. And she has people lined up to buy her book already. And so, in fact, I'd love to get her on your show uh, sometime. You'll, you'll love it. She's, her story's fascinating. It's gut-wrenching. But she's now the executive director of the Christmas Box House, and she knows what these kids go through. She was she was tortured and raped and everything through the system, and so um, in her case, it's like yeah, I could sell it, I could sell it tomorrow, right, to a major publisher. But it's like you know, let's just take it out and let's publish it, and let's just let's just see how people respond and let's learn, and then we can make a decision later. Because that's mm -hmm. what I do with the Christmas Box. I had sold more than a half million copies where I turned around and sold it to a major publisher. And, you know, the advance check on that was $4.2 million just for the hardcover rights in the U S and I sold 20 other countries. So um, people say, once you sell publish, you can't publish mainstream. No, no that's not true at all. Um, in a way you kind of, you tested it for the publisher. So, and if you think of a commercial marketing, you see all the time, someone will come up with a product and where, whether it's Snapple or some drink or, some granola, right? They, they take it out, they test it, it, it does well. And you'll get a company like um, a major company like Coca-Cola will come in and then buy it out. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is that when a company comes out with a new product, it has less than a 2% chance of surviving. Okay, less than 2%. So if they can find something that's already working, all the test marketing has been done, they step in and buy it. Yeah, they have to come out with more money for it, but it's much more efficient. And that's why that's why you see major companies buy out these these smaller companies that have already gone and proven a product. The same is true with books. Well, and you know, just that you're to, to demonstrate that you're in good company. Uh, the Alchemist started as a self-published book. I don't I don't know what it sold now, like a hundred million copies or something crazy like that. I already he sold like three hundred million books now, uh, Paulo Colio. And then, uh, as you know, I do some work with James Redfield, who wrote the Celestine Prophecy. Right. And James hit a uh, hundred thousand copies sold in six months, and same deal. He had a bidding war. For his book but you know that kind of proves the fact that you don't have to go with the publisher you're not lost if you don't but you definitely have to prove the sales well I, yes and i told i told the usa today um about their list well the number one book of the century in sales was men are from mars women are from venus by john gray that was self-published you know he was taking that trunk of his car and selling them to bookstores and drive you know doing whatever events he could before um, and then by the time he sold, he sold for millions, and um, then the book continued to make millions. So that is one way to do it. And by the way, as you know, Corey, we I actually have an author mentoring program that's free. You know, you can get into it. And we have such a beautiful community. Someone told me all their friends are in there. It's a it's a true community of positivity, and we're getting books published like crazy. So, but it's called Author Ready. You can go to authorready.com. And join for free. And it's growing really fast. We have um, just about 2,000 members right now. I'm and, one of them. Uh, you're one of them. And it just keeps growing. So um, it's, 
yeah, that's one way we protect people from what's going on out there. And so uh, one last quick question on the author side, and then I want to kind of circle back and finish off with the new book. But um, what you were just talking about the author side, and I know you work with a, another gentleman who we got to meet at your retreat with his book. Is that something you're spending more time doing now is helping authors with their book, launching their book, that type of thing? Well, I, yeah, I started a publishing company and it's doing really well. I think the first book we did is sold a uh, half million dollars so far. And wow. uh, it's doing really well. Um, and what I do is I look at books that have platforms. I look at it as it, can I sell this book? And so all the books we have already have ready platforms. And it's like, if we don't make money immediately, we'll make it eventually. And so the idea is to get all these streams of income coming in. But I love all the books we have. I mean, they're all going to do well. And I think we're going to have some breakthroughs. I think it's going to be a very big company. I think it'll be a multi-million dollar company within within a year. That's my, my, my belief of it. So it's doing really well. I'm really, I'm really happy with what it's called Ascent Publishing. And then, you know, I work with Simon Schuster to publish my other books. Um, also Gallery, which is a division. That's where I do my novels. So, but um, self-publishing and publishing is a lot of work. And uh, you have to decide if you really want to go to that. My novels, because um, I don't want to spend the time marketing them. I want to spend the time writing them. That's why and I make a lot of money off them. So that's why I just go direct with the publisher. Amazing. Well, I want to ask you uh, as we, you know, last few questions, but one thing on, on the new book is what do you hope the legacy of the book will be? Well, you know, the right children's book can last forever. And I think it can bring um, parents and children together. I, I don't know if we have time, but I can, I can actually share the book with you in less than two minutes. Yeah. I'm all Would in. Like yeah. Okay. And as you know, I have it memorized, but yeah. the, the artwork was done by this wonderful British author named Andy Catling. And so I can I can show it to you. It goes like this. A week ago, or maybe two, I took my family to the zoo. The day was nice, the sky was blue. It seemed to me the thing to do. No sooner there, I heard a shout. Someone's let a monkey out. I looked to see who caused this fuss. The shouter pointed right at us. And then the keeper of the zoo did what it is that keepers do. He grabbed my son, that rotten mouse, and locked him in the monkey house. And though I stomped and yelled with rage, they would not let him from the cage. Go ahead and turn the page. Hashtag free the boy, I wrote online. You cannot have this son of mine. I'll call my lawyer and the news. Grown boys do not belong in zoos. I fought for him, both tooth and nail, to free him from that monkey gel. But nothing I did seemed to help. I left a bad review on Yelp. So every day I went to see my son up in that monkey tree, hoping that I'd get a glimpse of my boy among those smelly chimps. And then one day my son dropped by, swinging wildly from the sky. To my surprise, he looked just fine, clinging to that ropey vine. Don't worry, Dad, my son did say. It's not so bad. I want to stay. And here I do just as I please. I spend my days up in the trees and swinging with a hairy bunch. We eat bananas for our lunch. No mom or dad, not anymore, to tell me not to slam the door or wipe my feet or eat my peas. For snacks, my friends pick out my fleas. No, where's your homework? How's those grades? No, going out till beds are made. So thank you, Dad, but I'm just fine. I got to go. Here comes the vine. Mm. And that is how it came to be, my son now living in a tree. I still don't know when he'll come home, and that is why I wrote this poem. 
for though he says it's lots of fun, it's not for me. I miss my son. And then the artist, I love it. He added this for me. He showed the son, hopefully coming home. Mm -hmm. um, so I just, yeah, Andy, Andy Kathleen, I, when I found him, he was two book two years out. And he said, I think you should help me with this book now. <laughs> and he, he, he canceled his vacation and uh, did the book. It's wonderful. And so I'm um, very excited about it. So, okay. So the last question I have before I ask how we can get the book is about your son. So, so that, how many years ago was that when it, 18, when you, 18 years ago. So how, like, how's your son now? What does he think of the book? Like, I mean, this is obviously part of his life. Yeah. I actually, uh, one of the reasons I waited is I wanted him to be old enough. Um, he's 25 now. I wanted him to be old enough to ask him and say, are you okay with this? And I, I sat down and told him, I said, I won't publish it if you say no. I mean, cause this has a lot to do with you. Um, I could publish it and never make the correlation, but it's where the book came from. And, and uh, he said, it's okay. Dad. So he's, he's doing much better. I'm really proud of him. Mm -hmm. You know, um, he still has his struggles, but I mean, he said to me, he goes, look, one of my sisters is a doctor. Another is a international best-selling author. Another works for movies. Another's going to be a doctor of pharmacy. It's like, how do I compete with that? And I said, Michael, you've climbed bigger hills than all of them. Mm -hmm. At greater struggles, I go, I'm, I am just as proud of you as I am them, if not more so. So, um, you know, as a parent, I don't, I don't need to get my ego needs out of what my children do. It's like, I have my, my own. And, and as my wife says, it's much more fun having a famous daughter than it is a husband. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm proud of them. And I'm proud of every one of them and what they've overcome and what they've done. You know, and that's, and that's you know, I guess that's how a dad should be. Right? We love our kids. Absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, I was just curious because obviously, you know, I knew uh, your son would be much older now. And and as you said, how he viewed it. So you answered that question beautifully. Um, so I guess then, obviously, the big question is for people that want to get the book, uh, when, how can they get it already? And how do they grab it? Yeah, you, you can go to Amazon.com. Uh, it's there. My son uh, lives in a tree. Okay. Or you or if you go to my website, uh, it's richardpaulevans.com and go to the store. You can order it there. Uh, if you do that, we actually double the royalty to Christmas Box House. So they make double the amount of money. So um, instead of uh, giving it to Amazon, we actually give it to the kids. So um, it's a little more work to put in your information, obviously, but you know we're very careful with that information. And um, you know it's a good way to buy it. So either, either way, go to richardpaulevans.com, my name, and just click on the store. Or just go to Amazon. My son lives in a tree. So I guess this is the bonus question. If uh, Can people order multiple copies when they go on your website to order? Like, can they select oh, multiple? Oh, yeah. Copies? Oh, yeah. They all, in fact, most people do. Okay. I'm asking that because I'd like to order uh, maybe 10 copies for our listeners and do some sort of contest or something like that. So I just wanted to make sure I can do, because you said it's a lot of work when you do them one by one. So if I can select a certain number, that's easier. I'll tell you what, I'll look for your name. When they come through, I'll autograph them for you too to give away. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that, or ask for that, but that's uh, that's amazing. I would love that. And like I said, we'll do some sort of contest so we can give them away to our guests so people can sort of be in the loop. So if they're listening right now, they'll know that we're going to be running a contest soon. Uh, but Richard Evans, this has been an absolute pleasure. I mean, I knew it would be. Uh, I so appreciate you, uh, honor you. I'm so glad you're putting this book out. I can't wait to share it far and wide, our newsletter, everywhere else. And I can't wait to be back at a, uh, a timepiece retreat as well. 
You know, they just filmed a horror movie there at my ranch. <laughs> so my girlfriend pointed it out to me. She saw it. Yeah. And she said, I think that might be the same one we slept in. I don't know if it, it was. was. It was the it was the same cottage you guys did. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. It's a, just out of curiosity, did they approach you about and say, Can we do a horror movie here? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, I don't know if it was good or bad that we were in there before it happened. I don't know. I don't think it matters. Oh my gosh, that's kind of creepy. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that was your cottage. It was based on my book, The Last Promise. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So amazing. Well, Richard, like I said, always a pleasure. Um, of course, people go to your website. They can find out the other things you're doing down the road as well. So I think that's probably a good hub to go. And then I know you're pretty active on Facebook too. So they can find you there as well, correct? Exactly. Yes. Awesome. Richard, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. My pleasure. You take care. You too. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.